0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the Best Houston Sports Podcast. Well, we handle big picture Houston sports, but if you need the Best Houston Cougars pod, you go over to the Scott and Holman podcast. Joining me is one of the hosts of the Scott and Holman podcast, Sam Raz. Great to have you back, and I just got two words for you to start off. Dejan Giro. talk to me about this guy.
1: What a game. I mean... I think we all knew coming out of the Cleveland state game, as much as I think Samson tried to be cautious after he got hurt early in that one, you know, we knew if there was a chance Dejan Jarreau was going to play Dejan Jarreau was going to play and Dejan Jarreau was going to make a positive impact on the game. And I think positive impact might be as a, as a two word description selling him a little bit short for what he did uh, last night against the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. I think willing the Cougars, uh, in large part, to a, uh, a round of 32 win that uh, looked pretty unlikely at uh, large junctures of the game, but just a guy who I think already had uh, really uh, earned the love and earned the trust and all that good stuff of the Cougar fan base after the season he had. I think he took that to a whole other level. of performance on Sunday night, playing through obvious pain and not just giving the Cougars you know something positive, not just giving the Cougars the baseline of what Dejan Jarreau given you all the season, but to give you a really positive offensive performance in, in obvious extreme pain. It, it's just, it's incredible. It's the stuff that legends are made of. If day, if, if Dejan Jarreau wasn't in the pantheon of, you know, most loved and, you know, most prominent Cougar basketball players before last weekend, he, he certainly is now just a, a performance beyond what I can truly put into words, even though I just spent 30 seconds here trying to.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and have you ever had a hip pointer yourself? I have, I have not.
1: Um, from, from what I've heard about it, it is, it is extremely painful and kind of nagging, in the same way that like, you know, muscle muscle soreness, deep bruises, ankle sprains, all those really awful injuries. I've always kind of thought of it generally in the same class, even though I've been fortunate enough not to have one.
0: Yeah, it looked amazingly painful, and I want to ask you because the broadcasters talked about him as maybe the Cougars' most valuable player. I sort of put him number two behind Quentin Grimes. Where do you put him as as far as value of all the Cougars players? Just pure value, not talent, maybe.
1: I think if you had asked me this question in, in January or even like early February, I think I would have given you, I think I would get an identical answer as you there. I would have put Quentin Grimes number one and put Drew as a valuable second, but I think still definitively in second. And now I really do feel as a 1A one B situation I think what Grimes and Giroux give you are so different you know Giroux is never going to be a dead eye 3 point shooter like Grimes isn't stretches and I think certainly the last month or so has been this season but he's gotten better in, in that area but I think what he gives you is is defensive toughness not that Grimes I think doesn't have the defensive acumen and toughness because you know frankly you're not going to be a frontline player for Kelvin Sampson if you don't care about that end but I think Gives you it gives you a, just a different skill set a guy who's gonna slash more than Grimes a guy who's gonna set his teammates up I think they give you decidedly different things but in terms of the complete package even if uh, even if I think Quentin Grimes does the things that maybe the NBA draft evaluators like more which which to be clear has been has been quite helpful for this team if this team didn't have Quentin Grimes right now I, I think we'd be talking about a team the the team season in the past tense but i i think i think it is very much a, a 1a 1b what those two guys give you dejon being kind of the i think what a what a point guard is now in terms still a guy who's willing to look for his own shot still a guy who's willing to slash but a guy who still is at his hard distributor and who wants his teammates to get better whereas Quentin grimes i think is more of the classic uh, you know two guard guy who can you know be instant offense maybe a bit more than Giroux is. I think if Marcus Sasser was hitting his shots right now, I think the pecking order of shots would be uh, Quentin Grimes, Marcus Sasser, and then Dejan Giroux, because I think Dejan Giroux's value is more as a defender and distributor. But I I don't know if I could separate either Grimes or Giroux in terms of what they've given the Cougars this year. I I think they've both been so valuable, and really even the last month and a half, more than the season as a whole, what those guys have done down the stretch, and what those guys have done, uh, i I'm sure we'll at least come up briefly here in the absence of Caleb Mills, the preseason player of the year, the guy who only gave you four games this year and then and then left the program to be able to do what this team has done. Basically, for all intents and purposes, only had Caleb Mills for a tiny fraction of the season. And still, we're sitting here talking about this team and the Sweet 16. I, I think it, it's pretty incredible. And it's a testament to the improvement of both Grimes and Giroux, but Giroux even more so.
0: Not much to take from the Cleveland State game, but what did you learn about the Cougars as a whole and how they're built for the tournament after watching the Rutgers game?
1: I think Samson said this in his post-game remarks that, the, you know, this is, this is a team that can put together an effort that, I got to be honest, in terms of a team effort, I think what Quentin Grimes and Dejan Giroux gave you individually, incredible. It's going to go down in, in program lore. And in terms of a team game, though, most of the 40 minutes of that was a pretty hard watch. I mean, you had Marcus Sasser making the key steal at the end there, but obviously had a very bad shooting game, just didn't really give you anything offensively until you hit those two free throws to basically ice the game. And you know, I think it showed that this team can can do all that, can play poorly in certain aspects and still absorb the best punch of Rutgers who shot way better than their season average uh, from beyond the arc who rebounded better than they have on the balance of the season. You could absorb the best punch of a team like Rutgers who's you know smelling blood and smelling their first second weekend tournament appearance since the 1970s and still come out on the other side, a winner. I, I mean, you don't want to keep tempting fate. You don't want the Syracuse performance next Saturday to look, that much like the Rutgers performance, at least from a team perspective. But I think seeing the Cougars go out there, not play their best basketball in certain aspects, but still be able to turn it on and get the win, still be able to out tough an opponent that I think had no shortage of toughness themselves. You know, I think that's encouraging if you, if you believe or want to believe that this team has at least a few more games in them in this tournament that you can have kind of done because it really looked like with four or five minutes left that this was going to look like, the you know the Cougars losses this year. I, I look back because the ECU loss is its own kind of thing. But you look at the season, this team had three losses, and and two of them, the Tulsa loss, Wichita State loss. I think the the two that really weren't outliers so much. The Cougars just couldn't hit enough shots, and just couldn't couldn't do the little things they needed to do at critical junctures of the game to win it. And I think the one play that really stands out is Quentin Grimes. I mean, excuse me, uh, Tremon Mark uh, putting back a miss. Uh, from Dejan Giroux to get the lead permanently in this game, and, and on a play where Tremont Mark, uh, when Dejan Giroux put that shot up, was behind the three point line. The kind of, the kind of insane, unlikely hustle plays that this team can pull out of their hat. Yeah, I think that was on display against Rutgers too. Again, not the kind of performance you want to repeat in this tournament, at least not until you get you know a little deeper and get maybe you know the more creme de la creme uh, opponent. But I think it still showed that you can maybe not have the a effort and, and still come out on top. And that's kind of what the name of the game this time of year.
0: Let me throw something at you because watching the game, I didn't think the defense or rebounding I'm used to seeing from the Cougars was there against Rutgers, particularly the defense. I saw a lot of basketball this weekend with all these games and there were several teams that just looked far more suffocating defensively than the Cougars did. Is that a fair evaluation? Because we know they've got to be super elite to make a Final Four run.
1: I think if you talk about the first like 25 or 30 minutes of this game, I I would say the first 30 to 32 minutes of Sunday's game, yeah, I think that's entirely fair. I don't think the rotations were as crisp. I think think Rutgers got some better looks than they should have. I think the Cougars, certainly the first 30 minutes – didn't rebound at the same level. I do think in the last 10 minutes of the game, I think the defense got better. I think also water kind of found its level with Rutgers. I mean, they were hitting some really good shots and again, give them credit that they, they made life very difficult for the Cougars. But I think, I mean, if this is, if, if it's the kind of perimeter defense, if, if we see a repeat of that uh, against Syracuse, you know, I think they're, they're going to be in, in pretty big trouble. I mean, they have Buddy Bayheim and a couple other uh, guys who are very capable shooters. But I, I really do think, I really do think, it wasn't a elite effort from the Cougars defensively for the entire forty minutes. But I do think down the str- I do think down the stretch, especially the rebounding, uh, got back to kind of what I was used to seeing from this team this year. I mean, I think if Rutgers gets a few more second chances in the last ten minutes or so of Sunday's game, I, I think. Again, we're talking about the Cougars season in the past tense. So was it an elite 40-man effort? I don't think so. I think also Dejan Giroux has been kind of the tip of the spear, so to speak, defensively for this team. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that he was named the American defensive player of the year this year. And I think having him either not on the floor in stretches as he was getting treatment and also like I think where a guy like that suffers the most is, you know, when you have a hip injury like that is the lateral movement is the ability to, you know, get in space defensively like he usually does. And as much as it was one of the gutsiest efforts I've ever seen from a U of H athlete of any sport and wouldn't have been a Cougar win without it. I think it probably just wasn't going to be the guy's best defensive game considering, you know, what he had coming
0: in. As I'm watching the game on the offensive end, I noticed something that I just didn't understand. I saw a lot of Justin Gorham in the post. Was there a reason for that? Was there a mismatch? Because that just didn't look like the typical Cougars offense. It, it, there's not Gorham in the post unless he's got great position or there's just this huge mismatch or something.
1: They might have seen something. I agree. Justin Gorm isn't really a first, second, or third option. I mean, I, Kelvin Sampson's flat out said it uh, in at least a couple of the features I've read this year. This isn't a YMCA offense. He wants uh, Quentin Grimes, Marcus Sasser, and to a lesser but still – you know, good extent, uh, Dejan Giroux taking the shots. I think as much as, as much as you see any Cougar big men, uh, involved in the offense, it's more on putbacks. It's more on, you know, when you find an obvious mesh, mismatch. this So I would guess that's the case. I, I saw Justin Gorm a couple times, uh, take looks from the outside. I do think that's, that's not a, uh, once in a blue moon shot for him. I think Justin Gorm is a guy, if he has an open look in the corner, I do want him taking the three there. Even if, uh, I don't want it to be a, a large portion of what we do offensively. But, no, I, th- I think um, I think they might have seen something there. I, I do know uh, Rutgers uh, starting big man. I can't remember his first name on the top of my head. I believe Johnson, uh, 6'11 guy I know, gave the Cougars problems sometimes. So it certainly wasn't, uh, wasn't when Gorham was matched up on him. But, yeah, I don't know. I think so that might have also been desperation. I mean, you saw after about the first eight or nine minutes of the game when the Cougars looked pretty – pretty in sync offensively it kind of came apart after that and it, it that's sort of been a theme this year I mean the offense has been streaky I think on the balance this is a very good offensive team but they go through really long lulls and I think you see sometimes the ball kind of sticks in the perimeter the ball doesn't move around as much as it should and you start to see desperation looks and you see maybe Justin Gorham taking a few more shots than he should and I think Sunday was probably uh, emblematic of that.
0: Looking at UH's bracket, it looks like sort of the parting of a Cougar Red Sea, if you will. Number one seed Illinois is out. Number three seed West Virginia. Four seed Oklahoma State. Were you shocked by any of those results?
1: The Syracuse one, I was not shocked by, even though they're one of the very last teams getting the field. Just kind of seems like a, a foregone conclusion the last few years that Jim Bayheim will get a, a team that is barely, barely NCAA quality in the tournament and then promptly make a sweet 16 or deeper run. I remember, I, I want to say it was the 2018 tournament. His team was in the first four and then made a run to the second weekend. And I think, you know, so that's obviously the unique Syracuse zone, but that one didn't surprise me. I think I even made a joke about it when we were previewing the bracket on our uh, Instant React March Madness episode before uh, before everything got started. And, you know, I think the Loyola one surprised me just in the manner it happened. I mean, I think if you told me just, Without context, without any description that Loyola beat Illinois, it wouldn't surprise me that much. I mean, again, we're not too, too far removed from Loyola making a big run in the 2018 tournament. And I think in the regular season, this team was every bit as good as that 2018 Loyola team. I think the manner in which they beat an Illinois team with, uh, with two legitimate NBA guys and Desunmu and uh, Kofi Coburn, I think was a bit surprising to me and Oklahoma state as as great as they were down the stretch, as deserving as they were of a four seed as much as, as much as I'm crossing every digit on my body that we are talking in a year from now about Cade Cunningham, Cole and Houston rocket. There you go. Yeah, exactly. That was a, that was a very young team. That's a very volatile team. I think, I think they were 300 something in terms of experience, in all of division one. And I, you see more often than not, those teams that are maybe built around a true elite guy like Cunningham, maybe come apart, you know, when they have to play a team game uh, in this kind of tournament. which is no knock on Oklahoma State, who I think um, I think definitely overachieved their expectations and and certainly wouldn't have been a team that I would have felt super comfortable with the Cougars beating in a one on one matchup. But, you know, I think it's just it's it's why I'm so grateful. We're you know, we're sitting here tonight talking about the Cougars in the tournament, because even by the standards of the NCAA tournament, this has been such a volatile year. There have been so many high seeds. So many big names that are no longer the tournament just today Iowa got ran out of the building by Oregon another two seed out of there if if Alabama doesn't take care of Maryland tonight which I think Alabama's going to win that game, but I you know certainly don't feel confident with the year we're having UVH will be the only two seed playing in the second weekend, which I you know I think certainly signals a uh, more crazy than average year and, and why I'm so grateful that even uh, as much as Sundays win, lack the style points. It certainly wasn't the kind of effort I want to see in subsequent games. I'm just so grateful that the Cougars are playing at all right now and the kind of year we're having.
0: Yeah. I said uh, last week, I I was kind of happy that they were in Illinois's bracket as the one seed because my Missouri Tigers beat Illinois earlier this season. They're not that good. I've watched a lot of Missouri. I've watched a lot of UH. UH is twice as good as Missouri. We saw what Missouri did in the tournament this week. And so I am not surprised by that, I, I want to ask you now about the matchup with Syracuse. What what kind of matchup do you think this is for the Cougars? Is it good or bad? In
1: some ways, it's good. Uh, Syracuse is an absolutely terrible offensive rebounding team. They're currently uh, 340th in opponent offensive rebound percentage, basically. You know, say most times Syracuse goes out there, they're going to give up a fair amount of offensive boards. And I know you've watched enough U of H to know that any opponent that struggles in that category, that's like red meat for the Cougars. I, I think where the matchup sort of scares me is that Syracuse does have a live team size they have it this year they have it pretty much pretty much every year Jim Bayheim runs a team out there just because if you're gonna commit to exclusively running that kind of zone defense you're gonna need a lot of length to you know kind of kind of make up for the flaws in exclusively running a zone defense which I have my opinions about but I'm obviously not gonna get into a giant digression about Jim Bayheim and his zone defense but I think That kind of size worries me a little bit just because, you know, I think we saw this year in the, you know, not terribly often, but still, you know, exist at times where the Cougars did struggle this year. It was against an opponent that had a fair amount of length. Wichita State, who beat the Cougars in Wichita, had a fair amount of length. Tulsa, at least their starting guards, had a fair amount of length on them. Memphis, who the Cougars were able to beat but had to beat in two pretty close games, could run a lot of length out there. On the floor. And I think, even though Memphis and Syracuse are two extremely different basketball teams, you know, I think there's a through line there. I think that concerns me. I think just generally what Syracuse wants to have you do, it could work out great for the Cougars. There were times this year where teams kind of showed matchup zone to the Cougars, and Quentin Grimes or Dejan Giroux or Marcus Sasser were feeling it. And if Syracuse encounters you know, one or more of the guys I just mentioned having a good shooting night, then it's going to be a very long night for them. Because if they're going to ask Quentin Grimes to take a lot of three-pointers, you know, there's a good chance that that could end up really biting them in the butt. But there's also a good chance the Cougars, you know, get tempted into a lot of half-contested three-pointers and go, let's just say, six of 23 from the field. And we're talking about a five-point Syracuse win. So I think think it has shades of both. I I do really like any time I see the Cougars go up against an opponent, who struggles to keep their opponent from grabbing offensive boards. I mean, that's what this team does as well as anyone in college basketball. But I'd be lying if I said every aspect of the Syracuse matchup uh, was a positive one for the Cougars and that there aren't, there aren't scenarios where what the orange do defensively makes Cougars hurt. And and I think we talked about earlier, the, at times, maybe somewhat questionable, a perimeter defense or maybe not as sharp perimeter defense against Rutgers. If that happens against Syracuse with the guys Syracuse has in the roster, uh they have the ability to make the Cougars pay from deep. And I I certainly, you know, will be losing years off my life if we see you know Buddy Bayheim get a lot of open looks uh on Saturday night.
0: This might simplify it a little bit, but I really believe that the Cougars are pretty much an automatic win if they can get Sasser going in a game. Should Kelvin Sampson focus on getting Marcus Sasser going early, because that's going to be a big deal going forward in this tournament. If he can't ever get this thing rolling, yeah,
1: I, I think so. I think uh, getting him shots early and often against an opponent like Syracuse, who's going to, you know, with their game plan, tempt you to take a lot of shots in the outside. That's that's Marcus's game, and as much as he had kind of a February to forget he's still a guy who he's still a guy I believe in even with some rough games in the recent past because like you said if he's going if he even has a decent game if Marcus Sasser shoots I would say 35% or better with a decent number of threes attempted in this one I feel pretty confident the Cougars are gonna win because I think the delta between what Quentin Grimes gives you on a good night what Quentin Grimes gives you on a decent night offensively for him. It's a lot lower than it was last year. I think Dejan Giroux, I, I, same thing. I, I think what he's going to give you offensively, especially with nearly a week of rest. I was very excited when the Cougars were announced as the Saturday night late game, because really every hour of recovery and, you know, time with the sports medicine team that Dejan Giroux has, I think is precious. And, and yeah, I think, I think Marcus Sasser is definitely a part of the game plan. I don't think any recent struggles we're gonna change that. There's a reason why the guy's name is kind of written in Sharpie in this team's starting lineup. That even even when he struggles, he's gonna give you some positive things. And I think this is the kind of game, you know, where Marcus could make could maybe show what he hasn't shown as consistently. And, and certainly, yeah, this is this is a lock. This is a Cougar win we're talking about if Marcus Sasser has a good game on Saturday night.
0: What's your gut feeling? What do you think's gonna happen in the next uh, round? I think the Cougars are gonna win.
1: I think the Cougars gonna win. Uh, by a margin between four and seven points. I don't think, I don't think win or lose. This is going to be a game that comes down to the final shot. I don't have any qu- quantitative reason why I think that's the case, but it just feels like it feels like a game in the final minute. Either I'm going to be thinking about the season in the rear view mirror and Hey, this is it. The season's ending the sweet 16 or the Cougars are up by two baskets or more. And Watching us close out a win and you know, making our first appearance past the Sweet 16 since, uh, since the Five Slam Jamma days. For some reason, I do think Syracuse can win this game. This isn't me dismissing you know, a, a Syracuse team that just went through two very good basketball teams in the form of San Diego State and uh, in West Virginia. But I like this matchup. I like it in more ways than I don't like it. And I think the Cougars can pull it out.
0: Maybe I should know this, but have you heard if any of the seniors on the basketball team have said they want to take advantage of the extra year of eligibility and play again next year?
1: Fabian white jr. Will be Fabian white jr. Wasn't really supposed to play this year because he tore his ACL last May and by, by a miracle of hard work and, and the U of H. I think, uh, uh, strength and conditioning and, uh, sports medicine program. He's back on the court and he is, he has said unequivocally he will be back next year. The scholarship math works for it. Uh, Jerro, uh, Gorham and Gresham are all certainties to be gone next year. And, you know, I think it's pretty obvious that Quentin Grimes uh, will be going pro after this year. I don't think there's anything left for him to accomplish in the college game if he returns. Not that I wouldn't uh, be overjoyed for another year of Quentin Grimes in a Cougar uniform. But uh, the math works out that Fabio White can come back and he's he's been pretty consistent on saying he'll come back for next year.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about Grimes. What's his projection? He's not a first round guy. I know. Is he considered a second round pick?
1: I've seen some mocks. to have have him at the end of the first round um, gun to my head. I think he's probably somewhere between like pick 30 and pick 45. I think he's I think he's developed enough, uh, especially the outside shot. I think that was a big glaring weakness of his freshman, and sophomore year that he he was a guy who could score in a lot of different ways. He was kind of streaky, but just really didn't have the consistent outside shot. I had the athleticism, but really just hadn't put it all together. And I think this year you saw him really put it all together. You saw him, I think develop enough of enough of a shot that I think you can see what he's going to do at the next level. He really started to look like the guy that was a McDonald's all American at college park those few years ago.
0: Now I want to talk about a game that I think every Houston fan loved almost as much as them winning against Rutgers. And it was my Favorite game of the weekend, not just because the, the Longhorns lost, but...
1: I was going to say, I'm reading your mind here. Abilene <laughs> Christian, Texas. And yes, uh, it was a game very much enjoyed by myself and many in my fan base.
0: Was that the best game of the week? I mean, I, I feel like I was biased, but, you know, Abilene Christian... I mean, I know UT fans, you get on Twitter and every Longhorn fan is, oh, a Smart it was a terrible coaching job and he needs to go. But I just thought Abilene Christian played with about as much heart it looked like they had eight guys out there defensively they were everywhere they were like mats and then you could you just you couldn't get them you couldn't swat them away fast enough I thought
1: the, uh, the athletic uh did a really good piece of, uh, about Abilene Christian really about the tournament but including Abilene Christian and and someone said I think it was an anonymous coach like this is a nightmare first round match like c- I couldn't tell you how happy I am not be facing Abilene Christian because they're a team that plays at such a low tempo. They're a team that's going to harass you defensively that they're just, they're going to run out of very unique style. It's kind of akin to playing, in my opinion, an option team or a team that runs a very, very unique kind of offense in a college football game. And I think it's as much as, as much as I'm enjoying just every second of the Texas Longhorn program underachieving and, in any way they can underachieve it's it's very enjoyable to me um i think i think a lot of three seeds would have had a hard time with that i'm as much as cleveland state has a solid year in their league i am very happy we got cleveland state uh and not abilene christian i think they were going to be a very tough matchup I, I think they were very well coached and i think somebody would be smart to at least take a longer look at uh at Abilene Christian's head coach, because I mean, that's not that long ago. They were a D2 program and to not that long ago be a D2 program and to have gone to what I think two NCAA tournaments in the last three or last four. That's really impressive. And I'd like to see what that guy with that defensive acumen could do. Maybe, I don't know if a conference USA or Sunbelt school gave him a ring as opposed to maybe a Southland.
0: And obviously, Abilene Christian, their their legs kind of were gone by the time they got to UCLA because I am sure everybody's going. Well, why, why didn't Texas do that to them? But I just think that they put so much into that, and they got all these small guys that you know that they're going to take a beating a lot more. And and they had less than forty eight hours before that UCLA game. But I, I did want to ask you about Shaka because despite the loss, I, I just I, I i can't believe Shaka's just lost it as a coach, as good as he was at VCU. What do you think of what's happened there? Because you know, it just seems like he hasn't had the success with these high-level pro guys that he was having with, you know, the the sort of underdog recruits that you got at VCU when he was over there.
1: Yeah, I'm not an expert in them. I think I think he's trying, which I don't think is the worst idea. I think he's trying to fit his style to maybe more four and five-star guys as opposed to the level of recruit he was getting at VCU. And I think in principle, it's good. A coach should be trying to fit what they have you know with what they have on hand to what they do as opposed to i have four and five star guys but i'm gonna run the same thing i ran at vcu and i don't think the solution is oh just run exactly what he ran at vcu but i think figuring out what he's gonna what he's gonna do kind of what you were alluding to as a non-underdog i think i think that's the difficult thing for him is is making it work with you know the greg browns and um jackson hayes of the world as opposed to you know the guys he had at ecu because he wants to obviously keep getting those recruits and you know the way to win in the league is difficult as big 12 is to recruit well but if you're not getting the most out of those recruits you're not going to get you know you're not going to get the results and it's an awful chicken and egg thing and, and as much as i find any coach at that school sympathetic i find shaka sympathetic i really do think whenever he lands at his next job let's just say hypothetically NC State, for example, he's going to do quite well, and we're going to all scratch our heads and just think, "Well, why didn't it work with a million bucks, uh, you know, or a gazillion dollars and all the facilities and everything that UT has going for in Austin?" But um, again, long long may continue that that program
0: struggles. Of course, we got to talk about the Scott Holman podcast with you and Dustin Rensick and everybody. You know, if you don't already know about it, go check it out. You spoke to a pretty decent sprinter who used to jump long distances over there that was pretty cool it was very fun he he's he is someone who is
1: incredibly accommodating with his time carl lewis we're talking about by the way (laughs) carl lewis uh no no biggie uh one of the one of the greatest olympians we ever had but just couldn't be more humble couldn't be more willing to you know talk about his team and just he's not a guy parachuting in there and working you know five hours a week this is this is a guy who's putting in the work of a college assistant coach and for a program, you know, obviously college track and field isn't going to get the same amount of uh, attention as you know, football and basketball, the big name sports here. But Dustin and I went to the outdoor championships in Austin a couple of years ago. And I got to tell you, it was one of the handful of very best events pro or college have ever been to just so much fun. We're making at least tentative plans at some point in the future to go see the outdoor championship at the uh, newly renault stadium in Oregon uh, just really great time. There's a lot of good stuff happening this year. They have a future Olympian. I think the current second or third fastest guy in South Africa, that's the new face. And they're already, I think pretty deep program. So very exciting stuff. I think we're, we're excited to see what Cougar track and field does in the outdoor season. Now that all the athletes are available for that, because you know, with the weirdness of last year, a lot of athletes no longer had uh indoor season eligibility. So I think we, we both believe the Cougars can do some good stuff at, uh, at Eugene later in the season. And we're obviously very excited to talk to Carl about it. it won't be the last time uh, he comes on. And it was just, it was a lot of fun.
0: It's just got to blow your mind. I mean, it blows my mind that Carl Lewis, nine time Olympic gold medalist wants to coach your track program. He's over on Scott and Holman. I mean, it's amazing. It is. It, it, it really is. It's, it, it's, I think a lot of credit needs to go to
1: Leroy Burrell because Leroy Burrell, a great, a great Olympian and great, Sprinter in his own right has done an incredible job with this program. Somebody who's a U of H lifer and somebody who has done his you know, done just an unbelievable amount of work, you know, following the footsteps of Tom Tellez himself, one of the greatest coaches of this sport. So yeah, very exciting stuff. Very exciting to talk to him and and
0: just see what that program has in store for us. Last thing I want to mention, and I think this is kind of a big deal. The Cougars, correct me if I'm wrong, they're the last team or one of the last teams to play on Saturday, right? I believe so, yes. I don't think there's
1: anything uh, or that much tipping off after I think it's a few minutes before 9 o'clock Central.
0: So it gives Deke Giroux a very long time by, you know, the standards of this tournament to recover.
1: He does. And that's why I think we were so excited to see that uh, we'd gotten a Saturday game, a Saturday late game instead of Friday. So obviously uh, a hit pointer isn't one of those things that uh, goes away overnight, but yeah, any, any time this guy has to recover is very welcome. And I think an- another thing favoring the Cougs in this matchup that doesn't have anything to do with Syracuse.
0: Maybe I missed it, but is, is this new schedule? Is this something that they're considering long-term or is this just a-, a COVID tournament schedule?
1: I believe it's a COVID schedule. I would love for it to go to this permanently. The first four games on Thursday, the, and then Friday through Monday. I mean, I didn't mind having basketball on during a work day, but if I had to guess in 2022 and going forward, we'll go back to the Tuesday, Wednesday date and games. And then for the first four and then Thursday through Sunday being the, uh, first two round schedule.
0: Well, thanks again, Sam for coming on the show and just, you know, remind everybody it's you and Dustin over on the Scott and Holman podcast every single week, pretty much. Right.
1: Yep. Every single week we are doing it multiple episodes a week right now. We just, uh, Wrapped our tournament recap episode last night for the first two rounds. We are going to record tomorrow night covering everything else going on Cougar sports wise because of the uh, weird COVID calendar year. Just about every sport but football is still in season right now. So a lot of action packed episodes there, but we're recording at least once a week. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. uh, Who am I forgetting there? Uh, SoundCloud. Really wherever you get podcasts. The Scott and Holland Podcast is there. We're most active on Twitter at SHPAWDCast. But if you want to reach out to us in some other way, we have a Facebook page. You can just search the Scott and Holland Podcast there. And you could email us SHPAWDCast at gmail.com or our website, SHPAWDCast.com. Dusty usually does this segment, but I think I think I hit all the uh, the key areas
0: there. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, go check that out if you've never heard their podcast. They do a fantastic job over there. Before I wrap up, just want to remind everybody that me and my regular co-host Stephen Kerr will be back Wednesday to knock around the latest Texans, Astros, and Rockets topics, including the latest on Deshaun Watson. So keep an eye out on your podcast feed this week. You can always reach us on Twitter, Facebook, or email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. Go Cougs! You're listening to Houston Sports Talk.